0: SECTION 3 OF OTHER PEOPLE'S LIVES. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. OTHER PEOPLE'S LIVES by Rosa Nouchette Carey BOOK 2. THE IDOLS OF A VICARAGE. CHAPTER 2. An Old Maid's Story. In spite of the supreme interest that centres round each individual existence, and which makes a good biography one of the most fascinating of studies, it cannot be denied that the events of many women's lives might be summed up in half a dozen sentences. Sometimes, it would seem as though some women are forever fingering a perpetual prelude, and that the real symphony, with its wondrous harmonies and long-drawn-out sweetness, its subtle chords and melodies, is not played out here. Some baffling spirit, though without the flaming sword, bars their way to the paradise they are forever seeking— No one writes of these dim but heroic lives that are often endured with such patience, and little do these humble souls dream their daily life an angel's theme. And yet, perchance, on heavenly pages, such life stories may be traced in letters of gold. Nothing ever happens to me, patience wentworth would say when she was young but she spoke in no complaining spirit people who live in the lives of others have seldom time for their own grievances it was not until youth had passed and the freshness of her bloom had faded that patience had leisure to think about herself be a little mother at thirteen and to tend and wait upon an ailing father was enough to tax any young girl's strength and energies but patience never complained that her burdens were too heavy for her and though more than one well-meaning friend hinted to mr wentworth that his young daughter was over-exerting herself and that it was clearly impossible for her to act as mistress of his house and carry on her own studies patience soon convinced him to the contrary i am as strong as a horse she would say laughingly don't listen to them father dear my lessons are just play to me and then she would trip away with a smile on her face leaving him quite satisfied evelyn was only seven years old when their father died he was a bright, winning boy, and patience idolized him. She nearly broke her heart when he first went to school, and when scarlet fever attacked him during one vacation, she persisted, contrary to all advice, in helping to nurse him. Evelyn very soon recovered, but his sister, who had also sickened, lay for a long time at death's door people who knew her well said she was never quite the same afterwards and that her constitution was undermined by the fever it was then that a slight deafness was first noticed which increased later on patience bore her trouble very quietly and said little about it but it quenched her brightness and long before she was thirty she had the precise mature habits of middle age. Girls very little younger than herself would laugh at her for her old maidish ways, and yet they loved her too. Patience Wentworth is an old dear, they would say, but she is terribly antiquated in her notions. There is almost a Puritan cut about her, One must be up to date nowadays if one is to be in the swim at all. Of course, it is her deafness; She is so heavily handicapped, poor soul. And then they would shake their heads in melancholy fashion. It was long before Patience lost all hope. She consulted one orist after another, and tried all their remedies. It was on the nerves one of them said, and for a long time Patience believed him. She certainly heard better at times. When she was tired or had any mental strain on her, her hearing grew worse. Certain voices, too, reached her more easily than others, and there was one voice that almost to the last could make itself understood.' patience never could remember when it was she first looked upon douglas cornish as her special friend in evelyn's school days he had not interested her she had thought him gauche and abrupt and secretly marvelled at her brother's infatuation it was not until their undergraduate days that she began to form a favourable opinion of him or to realise the seductive power of a strong man's sympathy. One summer, one never to be forgotten summer, Evelyn had coaxed his aunt, Mrs. Baldwin Wentworth, to bring down patients for two or three weeks to Oxford. She was a good natured woman, and after her husband's death she had spent the greater part of her time with her niece, but her second marriage, a few years later deprived patience of her chaperonage evelyn had taken pleasant lodgings for them near maudlin and patience who was always perfectly happy in her brother's society enjoyed a few weeks of utter bliss oxford was always a delight to her she loved wandering through the college gardens past the gray old quadrangles The lawns of St. John's, the Lime Walk at Trinity, the Lake and Swans at Worcester, and the Deer Park and Addison's Walk at Magdalen were all dear to her. Evelyn would bring his friends to afternoon tea. Douglas Cornish was always one of them. The two young men were inseparable, and one boy wag had christened them Damon and Pythias. They run in pair, don't you know? I give you my word, Miss Wentworth, if I see Cornish mooning down the high without your brother, I think something must be wrong. They are such chums, you see. But as the youth rattled on, Patience only smiled, and there was a tired look in her gentle eyes. She scarcely heard anything of the lively talk that circled round her little tea-table. Now and then, when Evelyn and his friend came to fetch them for a stroll through the colleges or down by the river, she would find herself walking with Douglas Cornish. One afternoon, they had punted to Ifley Lock, and were sitting on the bank together for a rest, while Evelyn and his aunt had strolled on farther. Cornish had addressed some question to her— Perhaps he had spoken in a lower tone than usual, but for the first time she'd failed to hear him, and there was a distressed flush on her face as she turned to him. I beg your pardon, you must find me a very stupid companion, but, you know, Evelyn will have told you, that I do not hear so well. Yes, Evelyn told me. Why don't you go to Dunlop? "'They say he works miracles. He is the man of the day. "'If I were in your place, Miss Wentworth, I should try him.' Cornish spoke a little too loudly in his earnestness, and she winced slightly. "'I am afraid it will be useless,' she returned in her subdued voice. "'Alas! poor patience!' "'It was growing more toneless year by year "'as the sweet timber died out of it. "'But I will go. "'Yes, why not? "'Certainly I will go.' "'It will be wise of you, "'and I know your brother wishes it,' "'was all Douglas Cornish said in answer. "'But as she looked at him in her pathetic, anxious way, "'not wishing to lose a word,' there was a sudden softening in his keen eyes, a gleam of some strong sympathy that went straight to her heart. "'He is very kind and he is sorry for me,' she said to herself, as he left her side and strolled off to meet the others who were now returning. "'I never knew anyone so kind before. "'And it seemed to her that day as though some stray sunbeam had fallen across her path do people ever realize the power of sympathy it is a lever that might move mountains the comfort of that kind look and word made patience happier for weeks she was only one or two and thirty then and douglas cornish was not much over four and twenty but he was singularly mature for his age and Patience always treated him as though he were her contemporary. Evelyn was still her boy, to be mothered and petted and advised, but she stood in awe of his friend. Evelyn would laugh at her sometimes. "'Why, Patsy,' he would say, his pet name for her. "'You talk of Cornish as though he were a don at least, and a dozen years my senior.' "'but he is only three years older.' (sighs) I always forget that,' she would say, with her shy flush. "'He is so grave and clever, Evie, "'that one cannot remember that he is only a young man.' "'And then Evelyn would throw back his head "'and laugh again in his boyish fashion "'at old Patsy's droll speech. "'If Patience had had more knowledge of the world she might have become sooner aware of her own danger but she had no mother to warn her and in that strangely silent world of hers she seemed to move apart the ordinary pleasures of young womanhood had never been hers ballrooms were unknown to her and concerts and musical parties could give her little satisfaction "'It is no use, auntie,' she would say to Mrs. Wentworth "'during the years that lively widow presided over her niece's household. "'I'm not fit for society, and I had far better stay at home.' "'And after one or two attempts to make patience change her mind, "'Mrs. Wentworth wisely let her go her own way. "'It is a grievous pity.' "'She would say sometimes to Evelyn, "'Patience is really very good-looking, "'and when she is dressed properly she is quite pretty. "'If that horrid deafness did not make her so shy and nervous, "'I am sure people would admire her. "'These up-to-date girls are terribly fatiguing, "'and many a sensible man would prefer a gentle, "'old-fashioned girl like Patience.' "'Aunt Hilda,' "'You are a born matchmaker,' Evelyn would return, with his fresh boyish laugh. "'But you may as well leave Patsy out of your reckoning. "'She never means to marry, I can tell you that. "'Besides, I could not spare her.' "'But Mrs. Wentworth only shook her head incredulously. "'If Patience had ever realized. THAT HER BROTHER'S FRIEND WAS BECOMING TOO POWERFUL A FACTOR IN HER LIFE'S HAPPINESS. SHE WOULD HAVE BEEN THE FIRST TO CRY SHAME ON HERSELF. IT WOULD HAVE SEEMED A SHAMEFUL AND INCONCEIVABLE THING TO HER THAT SHE SHOULD YIELD HER HEART TO A MAN WHO HAD NEVER SHOWN HER ANY PREFERENCE, AND YET SUCH LOVE IN ITS CRYSTALLINE PURITY WOULD HAVE BEEN A CROWN TO ANY MAN. IT WAS FRIENDSHIP, SHE WOULD SAY, tying the flimsy bandage over her innocent eyes but later on she knew and the knowledge was to her the bitterest humiliation it was not for two or three years after that oxford visit that the full awakening came a friend of mrs wentworth had lent her his house at st that charming little suburb of san malo for two months and she had induced patience and her brother to spend part of the long vacation there with her douglas cornish who had joined a reading party at ambleside came to them later on one morning they were all sitting among the rocks watching the bathers and their gay dresses splashing and frolicking in the water THE YOUNG MEN HAD THEIR LONDON PAPERS. MRS. WENTWORTH WAS BUSY WITH A MAGAZINE. BUT PATIENCE'S WORK LAY IDLE IN HER LAP, AND SHE WATCHED THE SCENE WITH ENGROSSING INTEREST. A FRESH WIND WAS RIPPLING THE BAY AND CREASING IT INTO TINY WAVES. THE DEEP BLUE OF THE WATER CONTRASTED WITH THE HEAPS OF AMBER SEAWEED THAT LAY PILED IN HEAPS. The rocks cast strange violet shadows over the sand. Denard lay across the bay in the sunshine, and the distant pealing of bells came from some grey old churches in the distance. Some children were paddling in the sea. Their bare brown legs seemed to twinkle as they danced in and out of the water. Half a dozen boys in blue blouses, carrying streamers of wet brown seaweed over their shoulders, were marching and stumping along in military fashion. Their captain marched proudly beside them. Pierre, thou art stooping like an old woodcutter. Hold thyself erect and regard me, thy commander. He flapped his brown pennon bravely as he spoke, and the little regiment stumped on past the gay striped circles of bathers popping up and down like gigantic corks and holding each other's hands tightly when the blue-coated battalion had passed the children began frisking again then mrs wentworth remembered that she had notes to write before the dejeuner and that she must go back to the chalet patience gave a little nod and coloured slightly when her aunt who was fond of gesticulation traced imaginary characters in the air the good lady was rather given to this dumb show she said it saved her trouble but how patience hated it she hoped secretly that mr cornish had not noticed the little by-play for she was always more sensitive when he was near and there was a shadow on her brow as she gave her attention again to the bathers a little of the sunshine had faded out of the landscape evelyn was the next to put down his paper a tall girl in a blue serge boating dress and a sailor hat was coming down the steep cliff path followed by an elderly man with a grey moustache evelyn tossed away his standard and there was a quick glance of recognition in his eyes then he leisurely dusted the sand from his coat and sauntered slowly across the beach douglas cornish who noticed everything raised his eyes with an amused smile to patience colonel brett and his daughter are going for a sail, he said i expect they will ask wentworth to go with them and patience who had lost no syllable of the young man's clear and carefully modulated speech, bent her head in assent. "'She is very beautiful,' she said, half to herself. "'And one cannot wonder at it. But he is young. Oh, Far too young.' "'Age does not count in such matters.' And Cornish laughed and it is not lad's love at three or four-and-twenty i believe miss brett is not really older but she is just a trifle mature for wentworth she dominates him a bit don't you know yes i see what you mean but not even with this dearest friend would patience discuss her brother's love affair In her simple old-world creed such topics were not to be talked over with any man. She coloured, fidgeted a little, and then said, almost abruptly, "'Mr. Cornish, there is something I want to tell you about myself. Evelyn does not know yet. "'Do you remember some summers ago begging me to go to Dunlop?' of course i took your advice and aunt hilda went with me but he could work no miracle in my case and and i have been to others i have even consulted that famous german orist well he said looking at her through his puckered eyelids and could none of them do you good no she said "'folding her hands quietly on her lap. "'She had beautiful hands, "'and they were soft and dimpled as a child's. "'There is nothing to be done. "'It is partly nerves, "'but there is other mischief. "'If I live long, "'I must be wholly deaf.' "'She had wrought herself up to say this to him, "'and yet she could give herself no reason for the confidence.' For once she had acted on impulse, but Douglas Cornish did not disappoint her. He took it all as she meant it. This is grievous news, he said gently. Evelyn will feel it much. He is so fond of you, Miss Wentworth. Few brothers are more devoted to a sister. But then you have been a mother to him. Should you like me to tell him? "'I think he ought to know, "'and then he will leave off bothering you about remedies.' "'It will be very kind of you,' she said gratefully, "'and then there came that blue flash into his eyes "'that she had once seen before. "'Who could help being kind to you, Miss Patience?' "'He burst out. "'Upon my word, you are the best and the bravest woman I know.' and Evelyn thinks the same. It was not a lover-like speech. The vainest and most conscious of women would not have interpreted it in that sense. Nevertheless, Patience Wentworth's pulses tingled and throbbed with pure delight. "'Who could help being kind to you?' she repeated to herself as she sat at her open window that evening. You are the best and the bravest woman I know. Those words would ever be engraven on her heart. But that night, alas, the flimsy bandage was removed forever from her eyes. This was Patience Wentworth's solitary romance, her one secret. But no one, not even her brother, ever guessed it, and Douglas Cornish, least of all. Cornish was very much attached to his friend's sister. He had never had a sister of his own, and Patience Wentworth seemed to fill the place of one. When they were alone, he would tell her things about himself, not everything, perhaps, for his nature was singularly reticent, but little everyday matters about his rooms, or his scout, or his pupils. And dearly, she prized these confidences but he never marvelled why she always seemed to hear him better than other people though evelyn once called his attention to it how do you manage a cornish i wish you would teach me the trick you never speak louder than the rest of us and yet patience seems to hear you evelyn spoke in perfect good faith His sister's increasing deafness was a great trouble to him, and he wondered how she could take it so quietly. Patience kept her own counsel. She was too unselfish to harrow up people's feelings. It was her cross, her burden, to be carried and borne all the days of her life. If she had chosen, she could have been eloquent enough, She could have described to them a strange world that seemed to be peopled with ghosts. Faces seemed to rise out of the silence. Hands waved to her, and a soundless wind seemed to blow from the four corners of the earth. The daughters of music were brought low, and on summer mornings, The thrush sang delicious roulades of full-throated music, in vain, under her window. "'I am so looking forward to the music in heaven,' she said one Sunday evening. But when she saw the tears rise to Evelyn's eyes as he suddenly and acutely realised her deafness, she repented of her speech.' patience's pitiful little confidence had touched douglas cornish and he thought much of her that night there is something heroic about women he said to himself they will bear patiently and uncomplainingly a burden that would stagger a strong man i suppose they are more unselfish miss wentworth is (laughs) she simply has no self he had intended speaking to his friend that night but evelyn came back from his sail in colonel brett's yacht looking thoroughly depressed and out of sorts they found out later on that he had heard that day that the colonel was returning to india very shortly with his wife and daughter Perhaps the colonel and his wife had grown a little afraid of their daughter's intimacy with young Wentworth. But from that day Evelyn found himself received rather coolly. Even Marian Brett was a little distant and standoffish in her manner. Evelyn used to bore his friend with a recital of his sufferings. He would have been thankful for his sister's sympathy... But how was one to shout out a love story? "'What do they mean by it, Cornish?' he would ask fiercely. "'The colonel was civil enough at first, and so was Lady Doreen, and now they are as stiff as though I had run suddenly counter to all their prejudices. Colonel Brett knows all about me. He knows that my father, God bless him, was a gentleman, and that I have money of my own.' "'Colonel Brett is not a nabob. Confound it all. What does it mean? Blowing first hot and then cold in this fashion.' And then Evelyn would pace the room angrily. "'I suppose they want Miss Brett to marry Lord Camperdown,' returned his friend slowly. "'Anyone can see that he is hard hit.' "'My dear fellow,' "'You have your advantages, no doubt, but the question lies in a nutshell. "'Can you compete with a Viscount and ten thousand a year?' "'Confound you, Cornish!' returned Evelyn furiously. "'Do you suppose a girl like Miss Brett will have anything to say to that limp, red-haired little fellow if he had a million a year? "'Do you suppose a woman of her calibre is to be bought at any price?' then cornish held his peace nevertheless when the bretts started for calcutta a cabin in the same steamer was taken for lord camperdown evelyn wentworth bore his disappointment as well as he could perhaps at that time things had not gone very deep with him and in youth time and absence work wonders so he gained his fellowship and took orders, and was beginning to make his mark on his generation. It was nearly six years before Marian Brett crossed his path again. She had come back to England, leaving both her parents lying side by side in their Indian graves. She still bore her maiden name, although report said that no other girl had ever had so many offers. "'As for Viscount Camperdown, even before the end of the voyage, "'he had known his suit was useless. "'I have simply no vocation for matrimony,' she had said once, "'and her proud, careless way to one of her rejected lovers. "'He was young and very much in love, "'and perhaps his temper was not quite under control.' "'You will have nothing to say to any of us, Miss Brett,' he returned bitterly. "'You are a cut above us, you see. "'But perhaps if some immaculate hero were to cross your way.' "'And here he paused meaningly, but she only shook her head. "'I am afraid he would bore me, unless he talked about something sensible. "'It is no use, Captain Lindsay.' "'treating him to one of her brilliant smiles. "'We all have our vocation, and I am called upon to work. "'Ah, the need of workers!' "'And then her eyes grew soft and dreamy, "'for the cry of the children was in her ears, "'and the sin and the sorrow of suffering humanity lay heavy on her heart. "'She had done noble work in India,' and had come to england full of schemes for the future yet when she met evelyn wentworth again she recognised her fate and for a time at least her woman's sceptre fell from her hand the fellow of maudlin was certainly no miraculous hero he was simply a noble-hearted genuine man with scholarly tastes and strong sympathies Nevertheless, he won Marion Brett's affections, and before long they were engaged. Then followed a few glorious, troubled months. Evelyn, who knew that his fiancée must have scope for her untiring energies, was debating with himself whether he should accept an important living that had been offered him, a large and somewhat neglected parish near Liverpool, HE HAD ACTUALLY SO FAR SACRIFICED HIS OWN FEELINGS AND tastes AS TO WRITE AN ACCEPTANCE, IN SPITE OF HIS FRIEND CORNISH'S EARNEST REMONSTRANCES. THE WORK WILL NOT SUIT YOU, WENTWORTH, HE HAD SAID AT ONCE IN HIS UNCOMPROMISING WAY. THE SLUMS ARE NOT YOUR VOCATION. IF YOU ACCEPT ST. CHAD'S, YOU WILL MAKE A GRIEVOUS MISTAKE. But though in his secret heart Evelyn agreed with him, Marian Brett's influence was too strong. The letter was written, but before it was posted, the blow had fallen. Marian had written to beg him to set her free. The letter she wrote was a strange one, an odd, pathetic mingling of womanly tenderness, with unbalanced and crude reasoning and a morbid self-surrender to a one-sided and perverted sense of duty. I could never be happy if I turned traitor to my work. Dear Evelyn, be good to me, and release me. All these months I have never been at peace, but you were so strong and you compelled me against my will. You have taught me that Love means suffering, but if I married you, we should both be so miserable. When the conscience is not at rest, the heart knows no peace. And so on, until the iron entered Evelyn Wentworth's soul, and he consented to give her up. You have never loved me, Marion, or you would not be leaving me like this, he said to her. "'and his face was white with passion and pain. "'But there was almost a look of anguish "'in her beautiful eyes as she answered him. "'You are wrong, Evelyn. "'Oh, if I could only make you understand. "'But you have never understood me, never. "'And I have been much to blame.' "'And then she stretched out her hand to him "'as though in mute appeal for his forgiveness.' and its marble coldness seemed to chill him to the heart. Evelyn Wentworth suffered terribly. The whole plan and purpose of his life seemed spoiled. But after a time, when the pain of his loss grew more bearable, he settled down to his work, doggedly, and a few years later he accepted the living of Sandylands and patience broke up her home without a word and took up her life at the vicarage with all her sweet charity there was one woman in the world for whom she had simply no toleration and at whose name her gentle face always grew stern and hard don't speak to me of Marian brett she would say to mr cornish and her voice would tremble with indignation i pray god that i may not hate her for it is wrong to hate any one but she broke evelyn's heart and-and i cannot forgive her and then she would draw herself up and go out of the room it is like a red rag to her cornish would mutter and i will not deny it was a sad business though as far as wentworth is concerned I am not sure it was not a lucky escape. Miss Brett would never have made a comfortable wife to any man. And he has done some good work. Some excellent work in its way. End of section three. Read by the Story Girl.